This this world's full of names like Zinnia Wormwood and uh, Magnus Honey and Agatha Trunchbull and Bruce, but uh, Bogtrotter. <laughs> Bogtrotter. Bruce Bogtrotter. I feel like this makes me just. I I feel like my name isn't exciting enough. I feel like we gotta <laughs> rebrand the podcast, and it'll be like Welcome to Skeleton Closet, starring Cromulus Spinch and Natty Hanson. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeleton Closet, a podcast at the intersection of queerness and horror. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jake. Uh, Welcome to part one of two of our Halloween special. Um, as you may or may not know from the end of last episode, we are, of course, a horror podcast, but for, for spooky month, we decided to shake things up. And, uh, this is the month where, where we flip the script and when normal people are being spooky, us spooky people are, are being normal. Um, yeah. Well, welcome to normal month. Uh, we're for the first time reviewing a non-horror movie and Shannon's pick for, for non-spooky month was Matilda 1996 directed by Danny DeVito. Yeah, so this movie was written by Nicholas Kazin, Robert Suicord, and based on the novel Matilda by Roald Dahl. It's starring Mara Wilson as Matilda, M. Beth Davids, Pam Ferris, Danny DeVito himself, and Rhea Perlman. Yeah, and we just have a quick content warning for child abuse. It's it's one of those movies where, like, I feel like it was emblematic of this era where it's like a much put upon child uh, protagonist and to the mm-hmm. point that like our parents are straight up. I'm laughing because it's comical to the level, like the degree to which they take it and the, the language used, but it's genuinely abusive, the stuff that she experiences, but it's like weirdly fun and lighthearted <laughs> in yeah. a really like real cognitive dissonance sense. Like at one point her dad is like storming down the hall and he's like, you want me to yell at you? I'll tan your hide. And like, it's the, it's the kind of stuff in the movie that like I didn't notice as a kid because you're like, oh man, her parents suck. Like they're just not cool. But when you watch this as like a twenty something, you're like, oh shit, that's yep, that is that is an abusive household. Wow. Well, and it's also like it's cloaked in all this Roald Dahl esque language where. Everyone just talks in this weird way where it's like, get over here, you blistering corpuscle or or something like that. Um, So, I mean, like, yeah, I say it's it's weirdly whimsical, but uh, it like kind of dark to start. There was also a line where Danny DeVito, uh, Matilda's dad, is like, oh, I have two kids, one boy and one mistake. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were your, what are your overall thoughts? Like you're, you're the Matilda Stan here. This is my first time seeing it. Um, what, what are your thoughts rewatching it? Had it been a while since you'd seen it? Hey, yeah, it had been a while. Like, you know, as I started like watching the movie, I was like singing along to one of the songs that like is in the movie and it was, it was as enjoyable as like watching it as a kid. So like I grew up watching this movie, like this movie and Madeline were like quintessential movies for like my growing up experience. And like, I remember I related 
so hard to Matilda because I was like, I, I was a bit of a weird kid and like, you know, a bit like ahead, like, what is it, older... I, I was an old soul, I guess, growing up, and, like, I loved reading, right. so, like, I definitely fell in love with Matilda, and, like, I had, like, the bob and bangs and everything, like, I looked like this girl, I acted like this girl, and I wished <laughs> that I had, you know, telekinetic powers, too, so that I could, you know, dance around while things were flying in the air and just, like, have fun, but I really related to the character, and, like... Now, watching it as a grown-up, like, I'm seeing more of the whole story instead of just, like, focusing on Matilda. I'm, like, I'm seeing a bit of, like, Matilda's a little problematic, not gonna lie. Like, the some of the things she does, I'm, like, this is, this is borderline, like, terrible, Matilda. Girl, what are you doing? Like, I understand <laughs> that she's, like, punishing adults, but I'm, like man, she does not think about the consequences for her actions. Like, oh, wow. So, and, like, I followed more of, like, the plot line overall. Like, as an adult, I followed it a lot better. Like, the plot line with, like, the police and stuff and, like, her parents. Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, that's stuff that I missed out on as a kid. But, I don't know, it was, it was still pretty good to watch as an adult. And, like, I will still be watching this going forward, like... I watch it every few years. Like this is this is a uh, uh, to me watching Matilda is like home. Like it's it's mm. just like going home. I'm like this is a nice familiar movie. I'll watch it while I'm spring cleaning. Like perfect. <laughs> what, what in a way you, Matilda's Jake? like a. I, I was gonna say in a way Matilda's like a bit of a supervillain origin story to some degree. Like she has yeah! this sense of justice and she's like I can do anything I want to anyone as long as they're bad. As long as they're bad guys, yeah, I can do anything. I, uh, I I enjoyed it more than maybe I thought I would. Like, I genuinely, so I had never seen this. Like, I never saw it growing up or anything like that. Somehow I just sort of missed the window. Um, but it did make me nostalgic for, nostalgic for like, this era, this type of mid-budget kids movie, where mm. it's sort of like... I don't know. It's like, whatever. There's a few offhand lines. There's a few laughs for the adults here and there. Um, there's quite a few times I had to like remind myself I was watching a movie for children where I was like, why is this taking so long? Like, why is why is this scene so long when it does nothing to advance the plot? I'm like, right, because it's here for the whimsy of children. I understand. Yes. It's <laughs> um, So, I mean, seeing it for the first time ever through the eyes of a 25-year-old is probably not the ideal way to to view and appreciate Matilda but uh, I didn't hate it overall like there was plenty to enjoy about it a lot of the character work was really fun like I said the they sort of like established a world when it comes to just the language that people use and and like yeah the level of like skeeviness and sliminess to 90% of the adults in the movie like her parents and <laughs> Miss Trunchbull like everyone except Miss Honey it's just so like slimy in the way that they talk to other people. And I don't know, there's a way in which it sort of reflects the world as you see it as a kid, right? Like, it's just like, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You don't quite understand it. Sometimes the adults are sketchy and I don't like that, but I, you know, there's stuff to find that where you can kind of find like uh, your own joy in whatever it is in your books and your own abilities and in, in just your general advancement as a human being. And mm -hmm. um, so like, it's a it's a pretty fun movie overall. I don't know. I feel like I would prefer to watch this than like other like certain kids movies that are out 
nowadays. If my nieces were to ask me to put on Matilda, I'd be like, yes, that's vastly yes. preferable to like, I don't know. I was going to, I don't know why I was about to pick on Paw Patrol. I actually, Paw Patrol is not the worst thing in the world, but really? I don't know. There's just, there's, there's plenty of crap out there. But I find like, it was enjoyable to watch, like I said, a, a mid-budget kids movie because I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff now where it's like your choices are either like Disney where the budgets mm. are are just massive and they've sort of got like the most talent in the world working on it. Or it's like some really, really crappy, like direct to Netflix, like, you know, awful yeah. teen actor type stuff uh, where it's not really well thought out at all. And so it, it, I don't know. It was nice. It was enjoyable. It's uh, it's, it's a good time overall. Yeah, a pretty decent movie. Yeah. Not going to win any Oscars by any <laughs> by no. any accounts, but yeah. Do you want to uh, hop into the summary of it? Sure, let's get it started. So, <clears throat> meet Matilda Wormwood. She's a brilliant child teaching herself to read by the age of four. She's the youngest in her family and left home alone while her father goes to work, her mother goes to bingo, and her brother goes to school. Home alone, Matilda either makes pancakes or walks ten blocks to the local library to read as much as she can. She works her way through the entire children's section and begins into the adult literature. Early on, Matilda is taught by her father that bad people deserve to get punished. Her father is a slimy, used car salesman who does the absolute minimum to fix old cars so he can sell them at a jacked-up price, not to mention buying stolen car parts. Matilda sees her dad being a bad businessman and decides to punish him by bleaching his hair and gluing his hat to his head. While being lectured by her father, Matilda discovers she has special powers. Her mind can make things happen. Uh, while the family is watching television over dinner, Matilda's father lectures her about how she should watch TV instead of reading books. This upsets Matilda, and she focuses so hard on the TV that it blows up. Providence strikes when Mr. Wormwood sells a used car to a school principal, Agatha Trunchbull. As part of their deal, Wormwood enrolls his six-year-old daughter Matilda at Miss Trunchbull's school, where she starts immediately. Matilda is thrilled. She meets Lavender, a girl in her class, on the first day as they wait outside for the school bell to ring. This is when Matilda first encounters Miss Trunchbull as she inspects the children. Miss Trunchbull is an imposing, terrifying woman who hates children and is known for hammer-tossing kids over the schoolyard fence. In contrast, <laughs> Matilda's teacher is a lovely, kind woman named Miss Honey. Immediately, Miss Honey notices how intelligent Matilda is when she multiplies a large sum in her head. Soon after Matilda starts school, Miss Honey pays the Wormwood House a visit to tell Matilda's parents how bright she is, However, Miss Honey is met with contempt, and the Wormwoods couldn't care less about their daughter's education. So this is what I mean when we talk about, like, Miss Trunchbull hammer-tossing kids over the fence and out the window <laughs> and stuff. This is what I mean by the whimsical amount of child abuse in the movie. Like, that probably yeah. sounded weird when I first said it, but this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. It, it almost comes across like a cartoon at times. It like, does! Like, she it, literally... It's like a live-action cartoon. Yeah, like, she literally grabs this girl by, like, her pigtails and, like, swings her around in circles and, like, yeets her over the school fence. And, like, everyone's watching and they're like, oh, this is totally normal. Our principal just, like, routinely grabs kids and throws them through the air. Like, no big deal. 
Um, at school, there's an assembly where Miss Trunchbull makes the entire school watch as she punishes a boy named Bruce Bogtrotter. He was caught eating a stolen slice of cake, so Trunchbull makes him eat an entire huge cake by himself on stage. When it looks like he can't possibly finish, Matilda starts a chant and the school cheers for Bruce as he finishes the cake. Um, this is the most disgusting scene I've ever seen, uh, like, in a movie ever, by the way. Worse um, than Saw. Like, like, horrific, horrifying. Uh, Trunchbull then punishes the entire school by making them stay five hours after school. When Matilda goes home, she notices her father is being surveilled by FBI agents posing as speedboat salesmen. Uh, he's being watched because of the stolen car parts he buys on the cheap. The next day at school, Miss Trunchbull comes to teach Matilda's class. Lavender puts a newt in Trunchbull's water jug. Trunchbull accuses Matilda, and in anger, she tips the water jug over telekinetically, spilling the newt onto Miss Trunchbull, who then freaks out. After class, Matilda confesses to Miss Honey that she was the one who spilled the water and tries to show her powers to Miss Honey. Her powers, however, won't work. Miss Honey invites Matilda over for tea, and as they talk, she reveals that her mother died when she was young, and her father invited his wife's stepsister to help take care of her. It turns out that Miss Trunchbull is Miss Honey's aunt. <gasps> Not long after, her father died, and Miss Honey suspects that Trunchbull had a hand in his death. I like that she still went to work at the school where Trunchbull is the principal, though. Like, her yeah. abusive aunt who raised her, she then, like, goes off and becomes a fully independent adult, but still continues to work for this woman. Um, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Miss Honey also rents her house for $50 a month. So, like... Oh, I died. This uh, this movie is a little, like... Like, uh, $50 a month, come on. And, like, her working for her aunt? Like, come on. Come on. She rents, like, a beautiful little uh, cottage with, like, wildflowers outside and everything, too. Like, truly an idyllic setting. Um... Yeah, that $50 a month rent price tag kind of made me want to jump through the ceiling because I, I paid rent in downtown Toronto and it's significantly more than $50 a month, I'll say that. So yeah, that made me a little yeah. sad, but nevertheless, uh, Miss Honey and Matilda break into Trunchbull's house searching for um, things she left behind, mainly a doll named... <laughs> uh, we're laughing because it says thighs she left behind on our script. Amazing. <laughs> I had to like really quickly do a little mental math in my head and be like, well, clearly this doesn't mean thighs. Oh, things. Amazing. Miss Honey and Matilda break into Trunchbull's house searching for things she left behind, mainly a doll named Lucy and pictures of her parents. Uh, they narrowly escape being caught by Trunchbull and Miss Honey makes Matilda promise to not go back into that house. At home, Matilda practices with her telekinetic powers and buys her dad some time from the investigating FBI agents. Uh, in the night, she returns to Trunchbull's house and climbs on the outside of the house to the second floor. Using her powers, Matilda levitates Lucy the doll out of the house and into the safety of her arms. Matilda leaves without going into the house, but her iconic hair ribbon gets caught in some branches and is left behind. The next day at school, Matilda gives Miss Honey her doll. When class starts, Miss Trunchbull comes in to teach the class again. She lines up the children and begins lecturing them about how someone broke into her house and left behind a pretty hair ribbon. 
She quickly accuses Matilda, but soon loses control of the class as Matilda uses her powers to assault Trunchbull. On the blackboard, Matilda makes Chuck write a message to Trunchbull as if it were written by Magnus, Miss Honey's father, accusing Trunchbull of killing him. Trunchbull, a superstitious woman, is terrified of the message on the board. Matilda then drives Trunchbull out of the school, and she never returns. Later on, Matilda is hanging out with Miss Honey at her house when her parents show up to collect her before fleeing to Guam to avoid the FBI. Um, Matilda refuses to go and instead asks them to let Miss Honey adopt her. Matilda's parents agree and sign the adoption papers. Matilda lives happily ever after with Miss Honey in her father's house, and Miss Honey becomes the principal of Crunchum Hall. The end. It's, uh... The movie was like, I think, an hour and 30 minutes or so, and uh, not a lot happened. We always say, like, oh, so much happened in this movie. This one was one where, like, there are (laughs) several of these scenes where we spent one sentence on it. It goes on for, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't need to know all the details. So, yeah, this is is a movie where, like, maybe not so much happens, but, again, it's based on, like, literally a picture book. So um, that is to to be expected. Yeah. I absolutely loved the side plot with, like, the FBI agents coming after, like, Danny DeVito, like, her dad. Because he's just such a sketchy dude the whole time. And he's just got... It, it almost feels like a a side plot from, like, his character in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Where it's just like, Ooh. oh, yeah, I got this scam on the side. I'm selling stolen <laughs> car parts. Um, and at the end, when they come to pick her up and there's like sirens wailing in the background, he's like, all right, come on. We got to we get pick it up. We're going to Guam. We're going on a permanent vacation. And he says, we got to beat the speedboat salesman to the airport. That was my favorite line in the whole movie. I, I died at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how she's like, there are cops outside. Like, and she like even tells her parents, she's like, they're cops and they're just like no they're speedboat salesmen obviously and like pull out a little toy speedboat and they're like look they even have like a a model of a speedboat they're speedboat salesmen not not cops no way oh my god there's also a moment where like yeah it was really fun um there was also a moment where like the dad comes home and the mom is talking to the two FBI agents and they're like sitting on the couch together. And she's like, just talking about her husband's business practices. And then he comes home and is like, Oh, what is, what is this? What are you two doing? Sitting on the couch with my wife. What I come home and there's like a, a male model convention in my living room, which <laughs> I thought was so funny. Cause I, I like, I interpreted that as, like, funny because they were playing into, like, his insecurities, too. Because it's not like the cops were presented as, like, overtly attractive gentlemen, right? Like, it (laughs) it wasn't like anyone was ogling these two FBI agents. He just comes in and sees two men talking to his wife, and instantly that's where his insecurities take him. That was how I read that scene, anyway. Yeah, I loved it. And then also, did you notice that one of the FBI agents was Pee Wee Herman? Yeah! Oh my god! Now that is a flash from the past. Like, this movie is from 1996. Like, it's as old as we are. Yeah. I actually have never seen, like, a, a Pee-wee product in general. I just, like, I I know the the guy. Like, I don't know, he was a staple. It's just, you've, I, you've seen him before. I just know the scandal. 
Right. Yeah, of course. It was, uh, there was, you know, that dude's had, had his good days and his bad days for sure. Um, yeah. One of the good days was that he got to be in Matilda before, <laughs> before things went downhill for him. Before scandals happen. Yes. Uh, I really liked to like the scene where they come into their garage and like, we, literally we talked on last week's episode about like cop movies and the whole like idea of the renegade cop and, and cops always desiring more agency. And then in movies mm. that's always represented with like, yeah, this rogue cop narrative or like, we don't need a warrant because we are seeking justice. I love that that came up again in this movie and Matilda straight up is like, you need to have a warrant if you're going to be in here. Like, I hope you have a search warrant because I read the constitution last year. <laughs> you can't be in here if you don't have one. I was like, yeah, okay. Matilda is pro civil rights, anti search and seizure. Um, praxis, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Matilda is surprisingly anti-cop. Like I did not expect that when I like came back into watching this, like I vaguely remembered the scene where like, the cop, they're like, they're in the garage. They're trying to get this box that's like up high and they have to climb a ladder. And Matilda with her powers just like moves the box to the left and they have to like shuffle the ladder, climb up the ladder again. She moves the box to the right and they're like, oh man, have to shuffle the ladder again, <laughs> climb back up. She moves the box again. And like, it's just classic comedy like so simple so effective and she like busts these cops being like um excuse me you're not supposed to be in here mm -mm. i like the i think i feel that matilda had the right amount of precociousness too because like yeah it's a hard line to walk in a kid's movie you know kids are i guess she leans more to the side of being like um I guess you could say she's kind of a, uh, a Mary Sue when it comes to character writing, right? Like she's sort of just yeah. divinely given literal mind powers and also like just sort of exceptional intellectual capabilities for a six-year-old. So there is that. But the way that she talks to adults where she's just like hands on her hips, feet planted, like she's <laughs> like, you can't be in here. Um, but not like whiny or annoying in a way that a lot of kids in movies can be. So like. Yeah, true. Yeah, she is not whiny. <laughs> Like, not whiny, not annoying at all, but very precocious. Precocious is the right word for Matilda. A hundred percent. You know, we on this podcast, we always talk about horror movies. Like, that's that's kind of our staple. Mm. I felt that this movie had some, like, elements that I was like, I, I do feel like there's maybe some connections, like some horror inspiration in some of these scenes. Definitely. Like, when they... When uh, Matilda and Miss Honey broke into Trunchbull's house and then they were trying to escape, it felt like a whimsical version of a slasher. Like this large yeah! person is stalking you around this house, which is like need needlessly cluttered because she's kind of like a hoarder. Um, and like the stairwells are like full of trash and whatever. And she's kind of stomping around the halls and following them around. And they're trying to make noises to di divert her from various locations. And like, it felt like I was watching a slasher movie the whole time I was watching it. Yeah, I I remember one of the things that I've, like, seen on the internets about this is, like, I think it was a tweet or something, and someone was like, my kink is Miss Trunchbull chasing me around a house with a leather crop. And I was like, yep, that's a kink. That's a fear kink for sure. See, okay, I, I'm glad someone said that, because I was going to say, like, why have we never seen a big butch lady in a lifting belt and a sweatshirt be a slasher 
before because that I don't right? know. It really did something for me. I was like, this is this is really good. <laughs> like this, <laughs> this is scary. Like I I actually really enjoy Agatha Trunchbull as a character. Like she yeah. is an acclaimed uh, what is it? Shot put javelin and hammer toss like Olympian. Like she yes. is straight up an Olympian, like a retired Olympian. And she now is like the principal of a school. So like she's a pretty interesting character. Like she's superstitious. Like we mm-hmm. learn about her. She's like, you know, her we don't actually learn that much about her, but like we do learn. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like trying to think of more things we learn about her and I'm like coming up blank, but like I feel like this movie could like have an edit where like it's a horror movie like if you slice together all the scenes where like trunchbull is like hunting them throughout the house and when she's like you know using her riding crop and like you know twisting it in her hands and like especially if you edit in parts about the chokey like we didn't even mention the chokey in the summary but the chokey is this like little tiny room in her office where it's got like broken glass and like exposed piping and like and like rusty know, nails rusty nails poking through the walls and like she will lock children in there sometimes for the full day you know if they've been bad and like she threatens to like lock multiple children in the chokey at the same time like as many as will fit you know like th- this movie this this movie's got some horror elements to it most definitely like I feel like if the Trunchbull were like a full villain, she would be like cackling maniacally and being like, I'll lock you with the chokey. You know, <laughs> I agree that you could totally like edit together a, a horror edit, like focused on Trunchbull and like, you know, her being a slasher and following you around and threatening to lock you in the chokey and having a riding crop and whatnot. I also feel like you could probably make a pretty convincing edit where it's a horror movie from Trunchbull's perspective mm. as she's like in her house getting tormented by Matilda. Cause she's like, there's like paintings flying around and there's ghostly messages being written on the wall and like her belongings are like attacking her <laughs> overtly. Um, yeah. And children are flying. And I, I genuinely feel like <laughs> there's, it's it's a horror. You could ent- edit together two entirely different horror movies, sort of like a Pearl and X situation, uh, <laughs> where one's focused on one character and one's focused on the other. You know? Yeah. Like I I do love the horror elements in this. Like they do a very good job of making it like just scary enough that it's interesting, but not so scary that a child can't watch this. Yeah. Exactly. I also, like, again, I mentioned that I kept forgetting that I was watching a kid's movie while I was watching this, and I feel like I'm actually starting to become, like, a little bit poisoned by the amount of horror stuff that we watch, like, Mm. for the podcast and also just on my own time. Like, horror is 90% of what I watch outside of the podcast as well. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm I'm really a a genre guy at this point. But, like... For, for some reason, I don't know why, I wasn't, like, even expecting the, the like, sappy, happy ending that we got. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, how is this going to go bad? Who is going to die? Someone has to die. 
It's gonna well, be Magnus Bruce. dies. <laughs> Bruce Bogtrotter's oh, gonna no, be like the sacrificial Bruce. lamb. Like someone's gotta go before the end of the movie. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Magnus did die. Um, so I guess I guess there actually was a death <laughs> throughout it. Also, Trunchbull murdered a guy allegedly, and she kind of just gets to drive away in her shitty car at the end of the movie. I don't think she ever actually sees justice. She's just sort of scared and embarrassed. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's very sketchy. They're like, oh, Magnus, like, died by suicide. And it's like, oh, no, I don't believe he would have killed himself. Like, she definitely had a hand in his death. Like, it's heavily implied that she, like, heavily implied that Trunchbull is a murderer. Like, we just don't know how. That's true. I also, I thought it was weird how they framed it, where it was like, Oh, the the police said he killed himself. This is Miss Honey talking about her dad. It's like, the police said he killed himself. And Matilda's like, why would someone do such a thing? And she's like, well, I don't know. But that's why I think, like, essentially Miss Trunchbull did it. And it's kind of like, the the movie almost frames it as like, well, clearly it wasn't a suicide because no one would just kill themselves. That would be a weird thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> that's their, like, kind of main piece of evidence that Trunchbull had something to do with it is like, well, killing yourself is an antithetical thing to do. So I suppose it must have been (laughs) this other person. Um, Just kind of flimsy reasoning, to be honest. Oh, very. Like, Miss Honey's just (laughs) like, well, he was my dad and he was awesome and he was obviously happy. So, like, happy people just don't kill themselves like clearly yeah kind of kind of a weird framing in that way i also will say like i just thought the so much of the set design like we talked about the pokey but even just like the inside of their house like revolting this movie is gross there's so much like close-ups of the adults for no reason where they're sneering and like the chocolate cake scene the eating chocolate cake and oh, even God. just like even just uh trunchbull eating chocolates inside her house like every it's always like characters are going animal mode and just stuffing their faces and like chewing into the camera lens and i was i would i would rather watch a thousand saw traps than watch that kid eat that chocolate cake for 20 minutes that was awful that's maybe the most grotesque thing we've ever seen on this on this podcast and i'm counting the acid enemas from from killer unicorn (laughs) this movie was yeah yeah Yeah. oh my god with all like those like really really close-up shots like I fucking love this kid eating the cake where it's like, does he use a fork? No, 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 no. He uses his hands and just like shoves it into his face, like chocolate all then, over his maw. So All gross. over his face and his shirt and like just everywhere. It was just everywhere. Ugh, indescribable. I'm like, I'm a person who like just mouth sounds bother me too. Like, if I'm just eating a meal with someone and they start, like, squishing the food too much in their mouth, it's, like, it bothers me. And then watching this kid eat this cake with his hands, I can't. It's awful. Awful. (laughs) I hate that. There's no excuse for it. Um, If we had, like, a a points or ranking system, I'd be docking this movie 100 points just for that. Um, (laughs) But I also would give it 100 points for when 
Trunchbull like leapt from the second floor down onto the first floor yeah. while she was chasing them and just landed flat with both feet. That was so fucking sick. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like that that really did something for me, and I think uh, that gets back the hundred points that it lost for the chocolate cake. Even I though think I agree, it was like twenty minutes of cake and like three seconds of cool superhero landing. So. It makes her into an excellent bad guy monster, like, that she is kind of, like, this superhuman strength, and, like, she can leap from floor to floor, she can throw a javelin, she can toss a kid over a fence, like, no big deal. Like, she really is yeah. superhuman strength, like, if Matilda has her, like, superhuman mind, Trunchbull has, mm. like, the superhuman body. Interesting. I okay, so I wrote something down and I just wanted to talk about Trunchbull in general. Like, what do we think of Trunchbull? Because I find it interesting. Like, she is a large, powerful, athletic woman, kind of a butch icon, if I'm being yeah, real. Oh, like totally. when she's not when she's not at work, she's wearing like straight up like a like a 1972 Olympics like sweatshirt, like a gray sweatshirt, like athletic wear all the time. Um but then at the school, she wears a uniform, which I can only describe as fashy. Like, it's huh. very, like, Nazi reminiscent, I would say. Uh, yeah. The the uniform that she wears and, and the riding crop and everything. And then there's one throwaway line that I thought was really interesting where uh, Miss Honey is has taught the kids a poem about how to spell the word difficulty, I believe. And it's like, yeah. Mrs. D, Mrs. I. Etc. You can probably Mrs. imagine the rest F of the poem. I. <laughs> yeah, you got it. And there's there's a a line where Trunchbull is like again in her characteristic 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 kids movie villain fashion. She's like, why are all the women in the poem married? And that's like a thing that she takes issue with. And so that one line in particular to me, and like again thinking about how this movie's from 1996. Mm. Is Trunchbull a caricature of, like, a bitter feminist spinster? Or am I reading too much into this? Because that is truly, I'm like, I think they're, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I, honestly, I think you're right. Like, she is an accomplished athlete, a, like, single woman. It seems like she's never been married. And, yeah. like, she hates children, uh, she doesn't even like animals. Like, she kicks a cat. She straight up she kicks does kick a, cat. a cat at some point. <laughs> <laughs> like, it seems like this movie was, like, uh, this book, I guess, was written by a man who was like, hmm, what's a scary woman? Let's go for a childless, unmarried, like, single woman right. who is, like, doesn't like children, is jaded about everything, and... Like is purely, is athletic. yeah, is athletic, is unattractive, and you know is scary and menacing and intense. So let's go with a butch feminist who hates <laughs> yeah. children. Like we're talking like second wave feminism here. Like I don't know if Trunchbull yeah. would be supportive of the trans community, but honestly, <laughs> Trunchbull's a turf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. I feel like if we're continuing to make her a monster, like, Trunchbull's a turf, like, she hates children and she hates trans people. That makes her terrible. I mean, it does make her terrible. 
I I found her endlessly interesting. I actually I just really loved the character. Like I I she's such a kinda, good character. Yeah, I I do think it's uh, yeah. I even at the end when she like because it's it's again a classic kids movie ending where all the kids gang up on the principal and they throw trash at her and <laughs> yell at her and stuff until she gets in her shitty shitty car her lemon and drives away and she's so embarrassed and she's covered in trash and water balloon liquid and whatnot um which i was like i don't know first of all i'm sad to see her go second of all will you ever face justice for that murder that you allegedly committed i don't know (laughs) we we never know there's no conclusion because it's literally just like she left the school and she was never seen again. She didn't show up to work. She just let the school be taken over by Miss Honey. Like, no big deal. But honestly, there were some points where, like, I actually felt bad for Trunchbull. Like, she's she's this lonely woman who, like, people invade her house and, like, she's just looking for, like, safety and security and, like... She's just trying to keep her school in order, you know, and, like, maintain the status quo. And, like, there's these, like, supernatural incidents, like, chalk writing on the board by itself. And, like, she's scared of the supernatural, right? So, like, oh, right. She she only hates black cats. So, like. Yeah. I, I, I. I, like, I feel bad for her because, like, her worst nightmares came true, which is, like, the event, the vengeful ghost of the man, you know, her her brother-in-law. Her brother-in-law? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, her brother-in-law. Uh, like, ste- step-brother-in-law, I suppose. Step-brother-in-law. Like, the vengeful ghost of her step-brother-in-law, like, comes back to haunt her <laughs> at her school, like, where she's supposed to be able to be in charge and, like you know, have the leg up, but no, I, I feel a bit bad for this character of a bitter feminist spinster. I feel that, you know, if we were to add a, a could have been gayer segment to this movie, maybe we have an epilogue for Miss Trunchbull where she like runs off into the city, like runs a, a produce stand or farmer's market or something with like (laughs) her butch lesbian partner um or she could be like an adult educator like she hates children so so much she could like work on you know helping helping adults with their educational goals and that's like a happy ending for her you know i i love that yeah i feel like yeah i feel like our could have been gayer is like trunchbull running off becoming an adult educator so like she's still teaching yeah. she's using her degree and she like <laughs> yes i i feel like the romance would start at the gym because like she's yeah. she's an ex-olympian athlete so she starts going to like a gym and like meets a personal trainer and like her and the personal trainer really hit it off and like they have this beautiful woman love woman relationship like Finally, Agatha, like, lets down her walls. She lets down her hair, you know? She would have, like, that moment, like, after flirting with this personal trainer, she would, like, pull her hair out of its, like, tight bun and, like, shake it free. And then she'd be like, my name's Agatha. What's yours? And she'd be like, oh, I'm Sally. Like, nice to meet you. Or, like, something like that. 
I agree, but I do picture her with like a like an undercut or a mohawk or something <gasps> going ooh, forward, ooh, like a shorter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, de- definitely an undercut. Okay, so Agatha moves like to the mullet. city. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> like, what about an undercut mullet? Is That's that what possible? I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like the shaved uh, yeah. sides. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Agatha moves to the big city, she has her queer awakening, she gets a badass gay haircut, goes to the gym, meets <laughs> another woman at the gym, and, like, continues teaching, you know, uh, adults, and, you know, is staying in education, and on the weekends goes to the farmer's market with her girlfriend and, like, chats up the other lesbians at the market. Oh, yeah, I love right. it. We we stand yeah. lesbian Agatha. I'm I'm glad that we've like come to the the ultimate you know truth for this character because this is truly where things were always heading. We've just sort of brought it to the surface. Yeah, and like I feel like she would get over her turfness and like become an actual yes. proper <laughs> feminist. Yes, she would need to for sure. That's actually that's that's the first thing she needs to do. Yeah, she was um, just in the wrong career field. She was teaching children when she should have been teaching adults, and she would be so much happier. <laughs> oh, and she gets a bulldog. She must get a bulldog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That suits. That suits. Or, or, or like a big, like a German Shepherd or something like that. Like, Ooh, either one. yeah. Just something beefy. Something beefy. Something, yeah, some um, beefy dog. <laughs> we're talking about education <laughs> and, like, the way that she clearly hates children and, and sort of sees it as her mission to punish children for like essentially existing again. Like yes. the, the child protagonist has to be so put upon. Do you, do you remember the one line? She's like children, awful things. Glad I never was one. <laughs> yes. She was just straight up like, I've never been a child. Never. I grew up an adult. I was adult from the, from out of the womb. Honestly, that's kind of us, that like old soul mentality. It's just like, I don't know. I was a I was kind of a I was kind of a sixty-five year old crotchety man when I was like twelve, so I Not get fair. it. <laughs> yeah. You never were a nasty, filthy child. Ugh. Me? No, never. Um speaking of education though, so I mean I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I'm currently in teachers' college. Like I'm training to to be a teacher eventually. Woo-hoo. Um and I've come across an idea recently known as the hidden curriculum. And it's Ooh. interesting because it's something I've heard about before, but never like, I, I've never heard it explained quite as in depth as I have now that sort of we're, my classmates and I are talking about it in a real professional sense. But do you know this term, the hidden curriculum? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was like a super widely known term or not, but basically it's this idea that within schooling, in addition to the things that you're supposed to be learning in in school, you know, your 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 math and literacy skills and and whatever other factual things you're supposed to learn, you're also being taught a number of things outside of the actual curriculum in the mm-hmm. way that your teachers teach you. Um, John Anion did a study in 1980 called Social Class and the Hidden Curriculum of Work from the Journal of Education. Um, and this researcher studied fifth grade classrooms in five different schools, which represented different levels of income for the children's parents from a working class school to an executive elite school. So kids 
parents at the exe- at the working class school are doing jobs like you know they work in factories and they they work at mm-hmm. the gas station and things like that. Um, and the kids' parents at the elect- executive elite school are like running Fortune 500 companies, and you know these schools sort of run run the the spectrum in between those two um, those two ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And what what this study found is that working class kids are rewarded for obedience. Well, kids in the managerial class and and up from there are rewarded for initiative and personal assertiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, if you're in a working class school, uh, it, like as you move higher up the class ladder, kids are allowed much more agency, much more free time and taught more problem solving and, and initiative and process based learning. Um, so like, for example, in working class schools, kids are taught to follow the steps of a procedure. You're, you're taught like one way of doing a math equation and you don't really get mm-hmm. any choice or decision making. You're, you're evaluated on following the right steps and doing it a lot of times. Um, yeah. And if kids don't get the material, they found that the teachers were generally blaming the kid's work ethic. It was more a matter of like, you didn't try hard enough, you didn't study, etc. Yeah. Um, in middle class schools, it was more focused on like getting the right answer, accumulating a large number of right answers so as to get a good grade. So there's some mm-hmm. figuring and decision making going into there. Um, so, for example, you could do long, div- you could do division the long way or the short way. There's there's different ways to do things. We will teach you multiple ways, and you're going to use your reasoning to figure out which one's more appropriate for the situation. Uh, and then what they called affluent professional schools. This is more like upper middle class. Um, you know, these kids are, their parents are lawyers and things like that. Uh, professors, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, it was all about creative activity carried out independently. This was where arts was actually the most emphasized. Uh, so students were asked to, yeah, students were asked to express and apply ideas and concepts. They, they emphasized individual thought and expressiveness, uh, and they got more and more choice of method and material. And finally at the executive elite schools, the emphasis was on developing analytical intellectual powers. Um, So children were continually asked to reason through a problem, produce intellectual projects of academic quality. Like basically they're preparing these kids to go on to elite universities and things, right? Yeah. Um, So they're more interested in how you set up a problem than the answer you find. Because once you set it up right, the answer is easy to find. Uh, There were things, like I mentioned, more, more autonomy and free time. Like Kids in working class schools would be yelled at to like stay in their seats, whereas in some of the higher up schools on, on the class scale, kids would be allowed to get up at any time they want to go to the library to pick out a book. And it's OK if they miss class time for that. And like, wow. Well, and also the class sizes were much smaller, so the teachers can spend more one on one time with each student. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you if you happen to, you know, glaze over and miss something or you're out in the library when this lesson is being taught, the teacher can go over with with you later because they don't have you know, dozens upon dozens of kids to be taken care of. It's more like, oh, I've got this dozen or so kids and I'll kind of teach them that way. Um, and I thought that this was all something that was like really evident in this, right? Like the way that these kids were talked to is like this really disrespectful way that I think like working class yeah. kids are often talked to in, in school settings. And um, I don't know, I, fi- I find that I, now that I'm immersed in a degree program where I'm thinking about this stuff like all the time, because they give us so much readings. I'm basically working on this stuff 24 seven. Um, mm-hmm. So much readings is what I just said. Future English teacher here. Um, <laughs> wow. Cool. You're doing great. Yeah. This, <laughs> I'm intent on raising a generation of kids who are really confident in themselves and who don't know subject verb agreement at all. Cause it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. <laughs>
it honestly doesn't. Like, English is hard, yeah. man. Truly, it barely does outside of academic settings and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like this, this like disciplinarian way, like what I find the most interesting is how kids from working class schools are taught to obey authority. That is what you're yeah. being taught in school. It's so much less about like learning this actual function, the, the reading, writing, arithmetic of, of, of it all. It's more about learning to obey when someone tells you to do stuff and sitting in your seat and being quiet when you're told to. Um, yeah. Because they're preparing the kids at the executive elite schools to go on to, you know, Harvard and Stanford and stuff after they graduate, whereas they're preparing the kids at the working class schools to go work at the factories and the gas stations and things. And what they want is for you to be complacent when you get there. So it's uh, it's troubling, but I, it's something that I thought was like relevant for this movie. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Like, I, w I would guess that Matilda's kind of going to one of these more working class schools um, that they're taught to obey and be obedient, and that's what they get rewarded for. Whereas we have Matilda, who's very disobedient, and, you know, mm -hmm. like, you're supposed to obey things, like obey the law and obey cops, and, like, we have Matilda here being a precocious little, like, six-year-old or whatever, and, like screwing with the police and like not following orders at school <laughs> and messing with her principal and literally turning everything on its head taking direct action by the way by crashing a police car that's that's also something that she did yeah um, oh my god sent it rolling down a hill with no driver she's kind of a menace she's <laughs> she's, she's full definitely of practice, a menace. that one matilda yeah. the precocious menace I was waiting for the end credit scene at the end of this movie to tell me how this connects to the rest of the MCU, and it never came, and I don't understand. <laughs> like, when does Iron Man show up? <laughs> when does Iron Man show up and give Matilda her scholarship to university so that she can go as, like, an eight- <laughs> or a nine-year-old to university, to MIT? Yes. Yeah. When, when? When? Come on, Marvel. <laughs> when? We did oh say this God. could be a villain origin story, so, like, I feel... She could just show up in the end credit scene of, like, the next... Whatever... Whatever... What's even coming up? Black Panther's coming up? Maybe she shows up yeah, in the end yeah. credits there. Yeah, let's say... <laughs> let's say, um... Uh, ooh, how would she become a villain? It would have to be something to do with Miss Honey. Either maybe Miss Honey gets cancer... And wait, I'm thinking of the plot. I'm very influenced by the plot of Saw. So she gets cancer. It's inoperable. <laughs> and Matilda starts taking revenge on the oncologist who is supposed to help fix Miss Honey. So her first ah. act is the same as Jigsaw. <laughs> so Matilda turns into Jigsaw, essentially. Interesting. And Jigsaw, of course, an anti-feminist... <laughs> sets up the encounter with Trunchbull later on because Trunchbull needs to make a return and <laughs> Ooh, yes Trunchbull actually joins the MCU as their like les buff lesbian wait sorry she replaces Thor in the MCU there we go I'm good with that that's fine yeah there's only room for one right, buff Bucket. lesbian <laughs> 2024 Trunchbull rising <laughs> oh my god yes yes i think that would work quite nicely oh yeah Matilda this episode's is an enemy Ooh. <laughs> 
this episode's shaping up to be a bit shorter than than usual ones because, like we said, this is a kids' movie and and not quite as much happens in it as as some of the, let's say the more intellectual content we normally cover on this yeah. show. Yeah, um, yeah, the highbrow shit. But I do have a question for you: Are you superstitious? Trunchbull doesn't like black cats and is scared of the supernatural. How do how do you feel? Are you? I like I knock, I, I knock on wood, and that's my okay. like main superstition. But like, aside from that, I'm not like super superstitious. Like I'll walk under a ladder, you know. I'm not scared of breaking right. a mirror, but I definitely knock on wood because like I think I like I I definitely believe in like karma because like what comes around goes around and what goes around comes around, so. But, like, I don't know if I believe in ghosts or anything either, but I, I guess I'm a bit superstitious, yeah. What What about you, Jake? Are you superstitious? I feel like I'm at a similar level there. Like, yeah, knocking on wood is, like, it's, it's, I wonder if it's more of, like, a social cultural thing even, you know? It's more just, yeah. like, a way of expressing, like, oh, you know, God forbid, whatever I yeah. just said comes to pass. So, I don't know if I even really count that as superstition, but I will mm. say, like, I'm a big Pardon me. I'm a big sports guy, and uh, like mm. superstition plays into sports so much. Um, and like my my partner is more superstitious than I am, but like if we're watching, you know, a Maple Leafs game or something, it's like I don't know if it's like a real high stakes game if it's in the playoffs or something. Like your jersey better be on if you are drinking like this brand of beer and they lost last time you drank this brand of beer, you got to switch it up. You have, a, have to have a different one. Like these things what? will come into play. And sometimes it can get in the way of enjoying things. Like if it, if you're, if you start thinking about things too much, it's, it's, it's fun to the point that it's not, you know? And then it's like, okay, yeah. I'm not actually going to change the way my life is. For <laughs> I'm not going to change what I'm doing that much. Um, but I don't know. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it can heighten the experience like that. Also, nice. someone told me one time that, like, you know, when you when you cheers around a table when when you're sitting with someone and you yes. starting a meal and you cheers. Someone once told me that it's a bad luck to cheers with water with a glass of water, and really? uh, it it now it just like it kind of bothers me when someone does it. Like, I won't say anything, but I'm just like, <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing? See, I heard it's bad luck to cheer someone and not look them in the eye. So, like, you have to be sure oh. to make eye contact while cheersing. I didn't know that. I'm always looking at the glasses because I don't want to use too much force and smash the glass or I, too little force I, and yeah, miss. And, like, I'm a person sense. without coordination, so I need to use my eyes to look at what I'm doing. <laughs> so that might, yeah. Wow. That so might account for all the bad luck. Bad luck. I mean, the Leafs certainly have, so maybe that's what's working against me is when I'm choosing someone, I'm not looking them in the eye. Interesting. Much to think about. Gotta, gotta, <laughs> gotta adapt that. Yeah, I take it as an opportunity to stare people down and like, ugh, really make that good eye contact. Interesting. Good to know. Now, Jake, if you could be adopted by a teacher you've had... Who would you choose and why? Damn, that's a very interesting question <laughs> as someone who's <laughs> training to become a teacher also. Because Ooh. I truly don't want my students thinking that that's a possibility. I'm not adopting anybody. <laughs> yeah, how um, do you feel about that ethically, I guess? Like, the fact that Matilda does get adopted by her teacher in the end. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's happened before, right? Like, and mm-hmm. it, I'm sure it's happened and, and things have turned out fine. So I'm not like here to judge that as like a phenomenon. I'm, I'm sure it happens. Um, but when it comes to my teachers, I don't know. This is the thing, too, is like I was kind of a shit student, like, yeah, until university. So I do feel that there's some karma coming to me that way. Um, when it comes to being a teacher, because like someone's gonna come make my life miserable for mm. for my crimes of the past. Um, if I was adopted by a teacher, I mean, our high school drama teacher was was kind of awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, Mr. C, I guess I'll say. Um, yeah. So I mean, that wouldn't be the worst option, but it just also feels like an imposition. Like I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to bother him for them. That. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to bother this person. My grade 5 teacher was a trainer for like the Team Canada women's team that like won gold in I don't know my Olympic years all that well, but anyway, she like won a gold medal with the Canadian Olympic women's team. So like that'd be a cool one. That'd be like cool. some cool connections. You could like Yeah. Maybe that that's a way to like find yourself at a Thanksgiving dinner with like Cassie Campbell or something like that. So I mean, that would be like that's that's probably the option I'd go with. That would be pretty meet dope. Some, meet some, yeah, like sports icon heroes that way. <laughs> what about you? Who would who would who would adopt you? I uh, my grade six teacher was pretty cool, Mrs. G. Like she would be she would be a dope one. Either her or I'd say one of my profs from McMaster, Dr. Rona Shaw. Like she was my teacher uh-huh. for like deviance classes. So like I took literally all of her classes that I could. I just loved her as a lecturer. And at some point I remember I made brownies and like gave her some brownies. And in return, she gave me like homemade tomato sauce. And I was like, oh my this, God. her, nice. her, she's cool. She's cool. Like, yeah, she would definitely be like a cool adoptive parent. <laughs> Beautiful. That's a nice thought. <laughs> yeah. Now, Jake, what's our next movie coming up? Because this is your pick for October. Yeah. Hold on. One last thought before oh. we move on to that. It's something that I keep forgetting to mention it. When when Trunchbull kicked the cat, I found it really touching that they spent <laughs> like a full 30 seconds verifying that the cat was fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm certain it was so as not to upset the kids watching it, but they were like, the cat got kicked and they're like, oh no. And then the cat gets up and walks and they're like, Oh, the cat's okay. And they say it out loud like three times. Like, the cat's fine. <laughs> I thought that was really touching because, you know, there were some kids who would be really bothered by that if they didn't Aww. establish that the cat was okay. Yeah, um, the cat, I think the cat lands on its feet. Like, it's it's, it's an yeah. okay cat. <laughs> it does sail that... through the air, though. She punted that thing. Like, a oh, good four yeah. yards. <laughs> My God. It was a good kick. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> All right, our next movie for normal month. I'm normal month is weighing on me. By the way, I'm used to being spooky all the time, and I've me been trying too. so hard to be normal all month. And I I got to get back to my spooky ways at some point because this is getting crazy. Um, up next is She's the Man from 2006. So we're also like going back to I guess like nostalgic kids movies for yeah for this, but it's 10 years later now it's 2006 it's uh directed by andy fickman it's based on 12th night by by shakespeare uh ever heard of him um and it's starring <laughs> amanda Bynes and channing tatum and like i don't know i find this movie interesting because it's like one of the first things i saw that involved any like 
I'll say like being playful with gender, like because yeah. it doesn't depict transness in any way whatsoever. But like it's no. a girl dressing as a boy for most of the movie. Like she's in drag, essentially. Yeah, um, she is. And like, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's one of the first things that I ever saw that was that was at all like playful with the idea of gender or like a little bit less rigid with things. Um, I'm I'll also like. Looking back on it, I fully had a crush on Amanda Bynes and probably also Channing Tatum. So, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> How could you uh, not? My God. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a great movie. I'm looking forward to it. Like, again, like I, I, I like this theme of nostalgia that we're going with for non-spooky month, uh, for normal month. Um, yeah. Because it's like. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see like what the messages are. I'm interested to see if there's like a ton of like no homo stuff going on because it's 2006 <gasps> and it's like, yeah, you know, because um, I remember scenes where like she's practicing flirting with her roommate Channing Tatum. <laughs> so she secretly has a crush on him as she's dressed as a boy and he thinks she's a boy but they've got like this chemistry that is like undeniable. And I, uh, I'm interested to see like how that goes. Like if it, if it holds up by today's standards or if it feels a little like yucky. Yeah. We'll see how dated it is. I, I love how we're doing like first a kid's movie for normal October. And now we're doing like a teen movie. Yeah. So very we're, true. We're aging up a little. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's a nice little progression. I was going to say, shoot, one thing that I forgot to talk about as well while we were while we were talking about um, Matilda is like, and, and this ties into like the class thing that I was talking about, but it, it almost felt a little bit like idiocracy at some points with like the way it represented like her parents where I was like, yeah, it felt like it was really playing into like a kind of white trash stereotype that, yeah. That felt a little gross at sometimes, honestly, where it's like, oh, what are you doing reading your books? Why don't you watch the TV and eat this fried, these chicken nuggets with us and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, it felt a little, felt a little classist undertones at some point. Oh, so definitely I'll just say classist. that real quick. Yeah. 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 Didn't love that. <laughs> no, anyway, we're that not here for note. the classism. We're not here no. for the classism and white trash child abuse. Yeah, but we are here for the butch lesbian icons and anti-cop sentiment. Well, not anti-cop, but like anti-authoritarian sentiment and uh, and and the bob yeah. and the iconic ribbon, I suppose. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Yes, the iconic ribbon. Was this a movie that you ever like, did you ever try to use your mind powers after watching this movie? Did this ever inspire you to like attempt to move things with your mind? Cause I know star Wars did that to me. So I'm wondering if as someone who grew up on Matilda, <laughs> did this, were you ever trying to move things around? Oh my God. Totally. Like I always wished I had those like telekinetic mind powers. I'm just like, well, if Matilda can do it. I can do it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Magical thinking as a, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, everybody, hope you enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you're thinking of Normal October. Let us know how you're absorbing, uh, absorbing, observing Normal October. <laughs> Are you in general, like, you know, wearing less cloaks when you go out on your daily walks? Are you like, I don't know, leaving your familiars at home? Let us know. Um, uh, <laughs> 
As always, you can follow us on our Instagram. We are at Skeleton Closet Pod. And uh, yeah, join us next week for our discussion on She's the Man. Um, anything else to say there, Shannon? Nope, just goodbye and have a nice day. <laughs> All right, take care, everybody.